Hey, this is Anna Tivel. You're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From the New Yorker, so you want to be a TikTok star. From Music Ally, 15 key moments from the fights for musicians' rights in 2022. And from Midia, music subscription market shares. Oh, that'll be very interesting. Well, Jay and I got so much to talk about. It's been a fun and interesting week as we head into the holidays. We are happy you are here. So let us get rolling. And here we go right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 For the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Brother Jay, it is really good to see you on a weird Friday. It's weird we're doing Friday. That, have we ever done a Friday? I don't know. If, I, think, I don't know. I want to say we did a Friday. I think we did a similar thing because I'm going on holiday. I think we did this because la- I did this in January. I want to say we did it back in January because I had the same yeah. flight and Could the be. same yeah. things. So, uh, but it does feel weird. It, it, it is. Um, it's, it's a little strange, you know, um, but it's good. It's great to see you. And how about that cool uh, intro to the podcast this week? By Anna Tivel. Water and thunder and dust. Floating like magic alive in the air. His body a weightless machine. I don't know if some of our audience has listened to Anna Tivill, um, but I've been a, a huge fan uh, for years, and uh, her manager is a dear friend of mine. And what was really cool this last week is Ann Powers from NPR put out her top mm-hmm. 20 albums of 2022, She's and so guess what was in the number one slot? That would be Anna Tivill and her album Outsiders, as uh, as Anne said, unmatched as an empath among her folk-leaning peers. The Oregon-based Tivill has the voice of a wobbly angel and a gift for making the poetic palpable. <laughs> She's built her latest album around the idea that we are all on some kind of edge, partially unseen by others. Some of her anti-heroes, a homeless man, a youth shot in a police incident, fit standard descriptions of outsiders. 
But most are folk who'd pass as getting by, quietly exceeding the usual folk frameworks. Tivill and producer Shane Leonard's arrangements work like fine cinematography, perfectly framing her devastating scenes. Wow. Super talented. Super talented. Cool voice, too. Just a cool... And the and the, the, the uh, production on the, on the record is, yeah. is fantastic. What a so, beautiful... Uh, review from Ann yeah. Powers. I mean, that's poetry. Anyway, check out Anna Tivill Outsiders wherever you listen to music. It is a fantastic album. You'll you'll thank us later. And by the way, she was the number one album selected by Ann Powers. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's you know? a pretty big pretty deal. Amazing. Congratulations, yes, it is. Uh, uh, Anna. That yeah, was pretty cool. Yes. Well, by the way, uh, could you have had a busier week, Jay? Oh my gosh, what a crazy week. You know, you and I were talking before we hit record about, you know, I'll do three podcasts a week and, you know, sometimes it's on the weekend, sometimes it's in the afternoon or whatever. It doesn't really get in the way of, you know, my day job. I still love doing it. But yesterday I did three podcasts in one day. It was, <laughs> it was a little nutty and just really quickly, That's crazy. you know, Mike Branville and I did our year end music biz weekly podcast. And if you don't know, music biz weekly is really more for the DIY artist, manager, you know, that sort of thing. And we did our year-end episode, which I really enjoy doing, and we just remind people, look, things are going to calm down in the music industry towards the end of December. Use that time to your advantage. You know, make sure you do an audit of maybe your last year, um, what worked, what didn't. Look at your socials. Make sure that all of those images are updated. You know, change all your passwords out. You know, things mm -hmm. like that. So that was a really fun episode. And, and just really quickly, Glenn Peoples from Billboard, uh, he and I recorded two episodes of the Behind the Set List. And they were both really special. Um, we recorded an episode with Jim Kerr from Simple Minds and uh, live from uh, Sicily. That was fun. Uh -huh. And Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums. And what a fun, uplifting conversation. So it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy year. But yesterday was such a crazy day just trying to do, you know, my regular day job and then get all these podcasts in because what's happening is people are planning, you know, to sort of shut down as we get closer to the end of the month. And so we're getting everything in under the wire. Awesome. Well, you know, and people, if you haven't performed or don't do podcasts or do radio, it, when you're uh, emoting for an extended period of time like that, it's exhausting. You it know, really you is. really kind of, you don't yeah, realize you're just... It. Whether you get off stage after playing a set or something like that, it, and you can see, you, you know, you hear this too with, with artists that are out on the road, how hard it is to just unwind yeah. after, after a show, after they perform. And uh, yeah. it's sort of a similar thing when you're doing podcasts or when you're doing all these things. It, it, is, it is tiring. Yeah, you not, have to be physically on, tiring, right? but yeah, you have to be on. Yeah. Exactly. So yes, exactly. before we jump in this week, um, a couple of weeks ago, you and I were talking about this really cool video. Um, it's been out since the summer of 2021 is Paul McCartney and Beck doing the song called find my way. But what's really cool about it is you see, you know, this 1964 Beatle mop top Paul McCartney singing the words of this new song. And I know this technology is out there and I've seen it and it's really blown me away, but I had the opportunity to speak with Remington Scott. He's the CEO and chief architect of Hyperreal. And they were the ones that did that Paul McCartney Beck video. Um, let's listen in to that conversation. 
So Remington, in, in the music video for Paul McCartney and Beck's Find My Way, I see a young, early 60s Beatlemania version of Paul singing and dancing to the song. Uh, the groundbreaking video was co-produced by your company, Hyperreal. Uh, tell me about Hyperreal and Hypermodels and how do you envision your technology being used in entertainment? Thanks, Jay. It's great to be here. Um, and I've got my cup of coffee here with you. <laughs> and we're here with Hypermodels and Hyperreal. Jay, Hyperreal is a company that's powering ownership, control, performance, and monetization of identity across digital ecosystems. And this, you know, at the very core, we're working with top level talent. You know, Paul McCartney is one of the greatest pop stars of the 20th century. And he's still producing music. He's still, you know, mixing it up with other artists. And he's finding new ways to express himself. And, and Hyperreal is one of those pieces of, of how it comes together. You know, when we created the Paul McCartney Hypermodel, and put that into the music video. What we were doing is we were creating a, a digital synthetic persona. It's an identity that is a version that uh, Paul owns. And this can go out and work for him. Um, think about hypermodels as we don't use the term avatar um, because an avatar is on the spectrum, on the spectrum of avatars. On one side, there's these caricatures. Think about like, um, Mark Zuckerberg's avatar um, in Horizon Worlds or these um, avatars you might see in the metaverse, um, they're very caricature. On the other side of the spectrum is the hyper-real digital humans and digital identities. And so, you know, we're so polar opposite. It's so real, um, the, the assets we create. So we brand them as hyper-models. And, uh, and so that's, that's the assets we build. Yeah, it, fantastic. Um, Hyperreal created Madison Beer's Hypermodel uh, for Sony's immersive music virtual concert. Tell me about that a little bit. Well, you know, Madison is um, constantly, um, she's a technologist and she's constantly connecting with new technologies to engage her fans. She's the perfect person to be working with Hyperreal and Sony immersive music to be able to create a virtual concert like she could never do in the real world. So in order to do that, we digitized Madison. We created a, a hyper model of her. Um, this is performing in real time in Unreal Engine. And we also have a, um, a virtual um, Sony Music Hall that she's performing in. And um, it, it's a whole new experience. The first time that this was cr created, and you could um, explore it was via Verizon's 5G initiative, where the concert was rendered on the cloud, ray traced, um, and pixel streamed onto your phone. And you could be moving around the whole concert and looking at her from different angles on your phone. And it's a high fidelity ray traced image. Um, and then the concert played again uh, in a different format on TikTok where Madison was talking about how she's using these technologies to engage with her fans. Um, and subsequently, the concert um, will be uh, able to be seen on the Sony PS5, PlayStation VR 2. They have a new VR headset coming out. And they've also been demoing it on a new holographic screen that, they've been, that Sony has been creating. So when we create these virtual concerts, 
um, the assets are are able to be um, reused across um, all these different platforms. So we're kind of touring this through the metaverse. I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Uh, thank you so much, Remington. Okay, thanks, Jay. It just goes to show you how far we've come. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's so sometimes weird. you forget, and you need to kind of you know take a step back and just look at how the technology, how dramatic the technology is, and that's just remarkable how yeah. that works. And and you and I were talking about the Irish, the Irishman that was the it was. Um, uh, on Netflix, I think, with Robert De Niro, and it was, you know, and they did similar things where because they needed to, to for them to be young, basically, because it kind of spans all the years, and you know, we live in just miraculous times, absolutely miraculous <laughs> times, and it looks in that McCartney video, it looks so natural, it looks right, yeah, because you know? sometimes when you watch stuff, you could you, something is just kind of tugging at you, saying hey. it's not right, right, right. There's but, a but in this, yeah, there's a cool making of. Uh, video. If you're into this stuff, um, check out the making of video, you know, just Google or go onto YouTube and look up, you know, find my way by Paul McCartney and Beck. And you'll yeah. see a couple of videos. One's the actual video, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, but then there's this making of, and it shows you kind of how the sausage is made there. It's really cool. Yeah. 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 It really does. Fascinating stuff. By the way, every week, I get to do the podcast with this chap that I am looking at through my iPad right now. The hardest working man, literally, that I know for sure. <laughs> he is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the fabulous weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter. And he is a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Group, and of course, Fox Home Entertainment. And this young man, traveling man. What was that? I missed that last part. What'd you say? And a traveling man. Oh. You were a traveling man. Yeah. Well, you're going to be traveling for the next week or so, right? Yes, sir. So this gentleman sitting across uh, from me, uh, Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Good to see you, brother. We got some you good too, stuff to it, cover it, today. It, it, and it hit me that you, you you were actually on the Sound and Vision radio a couple of times when I was doing... No, it, was, it changed names, but you you did uh, Pop Tech, Popular Technology Radio, which I also did. Oh. And I had you as a guest several times. You were quite good on the radio, as I recall. <laughs> I don't think I'm good on the radio. I think I sound like a dork, but I'll be honest with you. You have helped me so much because you've got this just... this voice like butter and and you taught me when we first started doing the show you said dude just smile with your voice <laughs> <laughs> which was advice given to me back in the day yeah it's well i don't know about butter but um uh, but you know, it's, it, it also takes a while for you to get used to your own voice when you record yourself oh yeah right? i hated it at first i'm like really yeah but really you but you get there. Seriously. You get there. All right, Jay. We got to thank the folks that bring us to the party every week. Our sponsors, we could not do without them. And, of course, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and a fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, 
and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Yes, sir. And our lovely show is brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yes, in Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their superfans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and finally, we'd like to thank Music Business Association. For more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration, collaboration in the music industry. So join us in Nashville May 15 through 18 for the Music Biz Conference. Indeed. So big thanks. Music Business Association, Banzugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. All right. What do you say we jump in? Let's jump in. Lots of great stuff to cover this week. It is. And the first one we're going to talk about is actually out of the New Yorker. It's from John Seabrook. It is So You Want to Be a TikTok Star, sung to the tune of So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, of course. (laughs) Uh, The social media platform is transforming the music industry. And John asks, is that a good thing? Yeah. And and you notice that kind of... Sometimes we ask that. Exactly. And you notice that little subheadline down there. It says, TikTok's algorithm can make almost any creator's video go viral giving unsigned artists a shot at a big record deal. Now, you and I have covered so many stories on TikTok, and we've seen examples of people who have blown up on TikTok. We've seen the challenges of figuring out how do you, um, you know, how do you optimize for that algorithm? And they kick this thing off by talking about Catherine Lee. Um, It's a young woman who in December of 2020, after spending like nine months of the pandemic at home with her family, she started posting music on TikTok. And she said, there's nothing else for me to do. So she was a 19-year-old sophomore at University of Toronto. She said, I always... I was always in my room with a keyboard, writing snippets of songs. And I thought, what am I going to do with these? So, okay, I'll put them up on TikTok. And so like many Gen Z kids, she grew up steeped in social media and started using Instagram in like third grade. And she started getting some uh, views on these videos that she was posting. Well, and that, you know, she mentions an interesting thing here. And she said with a keyboard, writing snippets of songs. And that is kind of, you know, <clears throat> I, I come from a different era where there were snippets of songs, but a song wasn't a snippet. Um, and so I think, you know, one of, the, one of the things with TikTok that we, I know you and I talk about all the time is, you know, it's not really a song sometimes. And is, so is it, is it a song? Is the, does a snippet make an artist? That is the question. It's um, evolving. It's changing. You yeah. know, at first she said that she was only a viewer. Um, not a creator, as TikTok flatteringly refers to anyone who uploads videos. 
the, to soundtrack their videos, TikTok creators can choose from a vast library of licensed sounds, which are you know mostly parts of songs, which vary in length from a few seconds to a minute. The genius of TikTok's business model is that the entertainment is almost entirely composed of user-generated videos, yeah. and that costs a tiny fraction of the $17 billion that Netflix, for example, spent on professional content in 2021. TikTok is reportedly on track to make like $12 billion of revenue for the year, mostly by selling ads against what is essentially free programming. So even so, this figure is still well short of the $118 billion that Facebook made in 2021. It's it's a big deal. And of course, you and I reported last week on these renegoti- renegotiations of these deals with the majors, for example, in Merlin for TikTok, it's like, okay, you're a promotional tool, but you're also making money on the backs of this music. Mm-hmm. It's time to pay, uh, you know, fairly for that. Right. And one of the interesting things, so what is kind of the sausage, you know, what what's behind the curtain? So it says, Mainly, though, the TikTok algorithm relies on the signals harvested from your responses to your For You feed. Mm. Likes, comments, and the length of time you watch a video before swiping to the next one by flicking your fingers up the screen. Every action or lack of one tells the AI something about your level of engagement. The caviar of social metrics. (laughs) I gotta remember that. The caviar of social Love that. A, su- a user who swipes through 30 15-second videos, say, provides the TikTok algorithm with, went with many more signals than YouTube gets from a user who watches one seven-and-a-half-minute video on its platform. That's an interesting thing yeah. as well. Those signals, in turn, allow the TikTok algorithm <clears throat> to home in more closely on your private desires. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody honing in more closely on my private desires. I'll I'll be honest, Jay. Uh, After a couple of hours of swiping, TikTok users get bespoke recommendations that make other feeds feel off the rack. The TikTok algorithm knows me better than I know myself as a Gen Z utterance I heard often in my reporting. This is uh, John saying that. So, um, my God, you know, it's just, but it's a good point. You know, when you've got shorter duration content, let's say, you're going to have a lot more data with which to feed algorithms. Yeah, and I think some of that data is not obvious. And a couple of things I want to touch on. One is I just read this really amazing book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by uh, Shoshana Zuboff and talks about how this data about you, about your activities online are being kind of bought and sold and what they're used for. And it's, it's super fascinating, but you had, you had touched on this in that, you know, you're, you're flipping through this feed. Well, they can look at how long you've watched it. It may be 0.5 seconds. It may be three seconds. That's different in what they, Mm -hmm. that AI feeds you. They can see your level of interest. That's why I've noticed on TikTok that I'm starting to get more and more things like the few things that I stay on a little bit longer. And this reminds me of Amazon, for example. Amazon doesn't just track what you purchase on Amazon. They track what you look at. And you yeah. can tell that when you go in and it recommends things and they keep track of all of this. They call it glance views. So that's one of the metrics. So all of these companies, whether it's social media, whether it's where you're shopping, you know, whether anything that you're doing, you know, Google maps, things that you're Googling, you know, for a short time. And they talk about this in the book, 
um, Google got into a little bit of trouble because they were searching through your Gmail and pulling keywords out and then yeah. suggesting ads based on that. Just just a little bit creepy. But I that last paragraph that you went through, that was so fascinating uh, to me. I think this this piece is one of the better pieces that I've I've read on TikTok. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the other things about what, what blows me away as I'm just even online looking just in my browser, I'm also being fed stuff that I've already purchased. It's like, wait a minute. Yes. I already got that. What the hell? Are See, you that's my biggest to- complaint. And, and even, well, Amazon's done this too. Like I buy a new camera, you know, every five to 10 years because they're very mm-hmm. expensive and, you know, it's a professional rig. And I recently did. And when I did, I started getting ads for the camera that I just got. And I think that's one of those small little oops Cause I don't mind yeah. being fed ads. Like a lot of people don't like, you know, being tracked or don't like seeing how these ads, I like to see how, how accurate, um, that they are. Yes. And this, they go on, you know, in this piece in the New Yorker that they state that the music industry has been the canary in the digital content coal mine ever since Napster made music free in 1999. Okay, we forget about that sometimes as technology has steadily altered the form recorded music takes. Vinyl records became cassettes, then CDs, then MP3s, now streams. The industry has found new ways to monetize the thing that never changes. The emotional connection a song creates between an artist and a fan. Mm. And you have said that many, many times. Does it make you laugh? Does it make you cry? And I would argue that if it's a 15-second snippet and you have an emotional connection to it, who's to say that that's not a song? That's not entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, well, and as I mentioned, you know, when I, as soon as I got the first sort of digital audio workstations, I would <clears throat> kind of do my own little remixes and just cut out the snippets of the song that I loved and just extend it, kind of do my own remixes. So I, I get loving kind of snippets. Uh, as the article goes on, it says, after lean years early in the new millennium, when, in, when the industry saw CD sales crater while its technophobic leaders dithered over converting to file sharing... <laughs> The major labels figured out how to turn streaming to their advantage. In recent years, the three majors, Universal, Warner, and Sony, have aggressively enforced copyright and pushed Spotify and other streaming platforms to hand over as much as 70% of their revenues, the profits from and the value of the music catalogs the label own have soared. In 2021 alone, the value of global copyrights rose 18% to almost $40 billion, according to a recent report by the author and former Spotify chief economist and our friend, Will Page. We love Will Page. You know, now now music is meeting kind of a metaverse in the form of a rapidly evolving platform of sound, video, social media, and marketing. That is TikTok. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, TikTok had become a potent music discovery tool. In one minute on the site, a user like my 14-year-old daughter, Rose, might swipe through 20 or more brief videos, each with a short piece of a song synced to it by the video's creator. Some songs are new, but many are decades old. If Rose hears an interesting sound, smash, smash Mouth's Walking on the Sun, for example, she can click the record icon at the bottom and go to the sound page where she can see the artist and the song name. Then, in theory, she can go to Spotify, Apple, or other distributed streaming platform where the whole song can be streamed and its owners paid. And I think that's a very good point because... We, we've reported on stories where they see a direct correlation between especially TikTok and Spotify. It's TikTok and Apple Music and Amazon. It's all of them. But 
uh, mainly Spotify. There's this this connection there when people hear something that they connect with. And and you and I talked a little bit about before we hit record about this story in billboard and we're not going to cover it, but Colin Stutz did this great story called what's a TikTok hit worth. And they talked about, you know, young leans, uh, 2013 hit, uh, Gensing strip 2002. And you can see right away, if you look at his, his Spotify page, I think there's something like 200 million streams of that song. And that's directly correlated to that TikTok hit. Yeah, exactly. He, he does put, John puts a, a parenthetical statement in here, which is really interesting because he was talking about his daughter, in this case, Rose, theoretically going to some of one of the major DSPs. But in parentheses, he says, in reality, she goes to YouTube where the stream pays too, but at a lower rate. Yeah. We can't forget that. And that's what a lot of kids are doing. A lot of young people, and I'm doing it too, by the way, occasionally. Uh, on a distribution platform, don't forget, a song's owners are paid per stream, but on TikTok, there is no set royalty structure in place, and it provides only negligible income. A growing point of tension within the music industry, Jay. Shocking. Yeah, I would argue that they're not paid per stream, you know, with the pro rata model, they're really paid on market share, but I understand, you know, the point uh, he's trying to make. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of TikTok's early champions in the music industry um, was Ole Oberman. Am I pronouncing that right? I think you might've corrected me once. Is it Ole? I think or? it's Ole. I think it's Ole Oberman. Okay. I thought. In 2018, he was a chief digital officer at Warner Music Group. Um, he had an aha moment about TikTok. He said, you know, the, the only other time he had that similar moment was when he first used Spotify, uh, referring back to 2007, partly because of TikTok's merger with Musical.ly, an app that had been utilized primarily for teen lip syncing battles. I remember that many executives, mm -hmm. many executives weren't using it. Oberman tried to make his skeptical colleagues understand that TikTok was going to be the next big thing. He likened user-generated videos, on which creators spend many hours, to the mixtapes that people made back in the day. The ultimate form of fandom, he said. To me, he described TikTok as a combination of elements of Top 40 radio, music television, and streaming. There's never been anything that can get a song hooked in your head the way TikTok does. You know, and, and I, we've, we've all been there where you look at something and you go, okay, is this going to be the next big thing or is this not going to be the next big thing? And right. sometimes it's really hard to tell. And I don't know that I would have, I would have not had that epiphany. I did not have that epiphany when I first saw TikTok. I just did not. I thought, oh, I don't get it. It's not for me. Yeah. Um, and the same with songs, because you and I have talked about songs that we think are horrible. I mean, and I won't name names, but songs that are just absolutely out of key, out of tune, horrendous songs. But they have that line or two in them that people pull out and they make these TikTok yep. videos. In fact, we were talking to Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums about TikTok and how some of his friends had these moments like that where they pulled these words out. He used Andy Grammer as an example, but it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't intentional. And I, you know, I can imagine that there's gotta be a lot of artists right now trying to come up with those, those moments, but I've, I've never been a big believer that you can, you know, construct a viral moment. I, I just feel like it's, it's really, you know, out of your hands, that lightning in a bottle. I could be wrong. It's ephemeral. I mean, I think I think you're right. Nice though. verbiage. It's, it's, yeah, thank you. I, I'm here all week. Um, yeah, you know, you <clears throat> you can try. You can set yourself up 
to be ready for that happening, but I don't know that you can make it happen. But so many label executives want 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 you to oh, have that yeah. super superpower. Yeah, it used to be, you know, well, with YouTube or whatever it was, everybody wanted that viral moment. You'll remember in March of 2019, Old Town Road, you know, that little known song by Lil Nas X, it went viral. I hate saying that word, but I will. You know, thanks in part to, uh, you know, a 21-year-old Boston-based creator named uh, Michael Pelchat. In his video, he did a dance feature to that quick cut costume change, you know, into a cowboy outfit, a transition in TikTok lingo, you know, which was synced to the lyrics, I, I got the horses in the back. Oh my gosh, an explosion of videos, you know, from creators using that song and that clip followed in the next few months. A remix, of course, by Billy Ray Cyrus topped the Billboard Hot 100 for 19 weeks, an all time record converting most remaining music industry skeptics into TikTok champions. So Palchat earned $500 for his contribution, <laughs> making Old Town Road a mega hit. Lil Nas X gave him the money himself saying, thank you, man, for changing my life. Here's $500. <laughs> well, but speaking of Old Town Road, as he says that <clears throat> the Old Town Road rocket launch demonstrated the essential role the creator's videos play in a song's viral trajectory. The videos could potentially spread a piece of the song to hundreds of millions of listeners who might then stream the original version on another platform. TikTok also proved that it could make hits out of songs that bricked at first. Sunday Best, attracted by Surfaces, a Texas-based electropop duo, duo, became extremely popular on TikTok in early 2020, a year after its release, when the line, Feeling Good Like I Should, was synced to dance videos. The song was re-released to radio that March at the start of the lockdown, and it turned into a global, global smash. I'm, I'm taking that bricked, the song bricked. <laughs> Oh, yes. man, that's harsh. They talk about the the young woman, the 19-year-old, who we kicked off the story about, Catherine Lee. You know, she's seen other musicians blowing up on TikTok. You know, there were new superstars like Doja Cat and Megan Thee Stallion, you know, whose hit song Savage caught fire on the platform. That was in spring of 2020. Um, but both of those artists' careers had predated TikTok, and they had major label backing. You know, and although Catherine Lee, like virtually all TikTok creators, she longed for fame. She couldn't imagine being that kind of famous herself. She could, she said, uh, relate to those smaller artists on TikTok who are also getting so much exposure. In 2020 alone, more than 70 new artists broke out on TikTok and signed contracts with labels. We reported on a couple of stories uh, about that. And I would love to go back and see what happened to those because some of our stories that we've been reporting on about A&R, they're backing away from TikTok. They want, yeah. they want a long-term artist development and not that quick one hit wonder, not to say all of them are, but it's, there's kind of a backlash now on the A&R side. Yeah, that for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in some ways it is, it is just different. It's, it's, it's success on TikTok is this thing over here success as a recording artist is this thing over here sometimes they they overlap but oftentimes they do not yeah. so i think you know yeah it's it's very challenging it to, really to try is. to to make that to make that jump yeah. and yeah it's almost impossible well, um before we move on to the next story the the one thing i i, I pulled out of this that i mean because there's so much in this story it's a very long piece and I highly encourage you to read it. It's there's a lot you can learn here and it's really updated, but there's all this talk about 
algorithms and the TikTok algorithm. And yeah. I think they've done one of the best jobs of explaining it um, than, than most. And, and he, he says, you know, how does the algorithm launch viral trends, you know, on TikTok? So machine learning is a form of AI, artificial intelligence, that identifies patterns in data and makes predictions and recommendations based on them. That's really important. Because of the complexity of these calculations and the sheer volume of data they ingest, the exact workings of powerful AIs like TikToks are pretty difficult to comprehend. So, but still, there are theories about TikTok's algorithm. The batch theory holds that the algorithm shows new content to a small batch of users somewhere around the world. And if a video gains traction somewhere, the app sends the video to a larger batch of users and then a still larger one. And I've heard this from several people. Within the batch theory, there are more theories about how a video gains traction in the first place. Some hold, you know, the ratio of likes to views is a key metric. Okay. For others, it's whether people stay with a video to its till its end. That's rare. Um, some combination uh, of all these factors is probably at play. TikTok itself has confirmed aspects of this on its website, but without much granularity. Uh, there's no shortage of YouTube videos or Reddit threads probing the mysteries of the recommendation algorithm for users who su suspect that it's being periodically tweaked by ByteDance, the parent company, by their engineers. And I thought that was really insightful. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. But as you said, you know, it's a wonderful article. It's really worth reading. It's pretty deep. Um, but John Seabrook did a fantastic job, so highly recommended. It's in, uh, in The New Yorker. We've got a link, of course, in the newsletter. And check it out. And I love The New Yorker, man. Oh, oh I do, too. We don't <laughs> talk about so it enough. Um, but, man, we when don't. they cover we something, don't. man, they go deep. They go way deep, and yeah. it's uh, and I as I when I because I have Apple News, and that's one of my I do too. that I subscribe to. Yeah. Yes, and, and and New Yorker is in there, which is great. So, highly recommended to read. It's really fascinating, and boy, you know, like you know, we talked about the negotiations with TikTok and all the things that are happening, and it's a thing, baby. It I is. Mean, you cannot it's ignore it, and uh, <laughs> and we will be talking about it almost every week yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So. Definitely check it out. All right, Jay. For, from our next, uh, our next article is from Music Ally. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen key moments from the fights for musicians' rights in 2022. Yeah. And by the way, I, some of the things I've completely forgotten. Me about, too. I'm Me too. To say. Yeah. I mean, the the first one, and we'll get into this in a second. The resolution for you know Phono Records three and Phono Records four. Mm -hmm. You, if you listen to this podcast or if you read your morning coffee, the newsletter, you're you're up to speed on the copyright royalty board and you know, all of the great work that has been going on there. I'd like to jump into these, um, but this is from Music Ally, and I just wanted to tee it up by saying that in, in the uh, intro to the article, they say that every working day in December, we're publishing a new article drawing together some of the big music industry stories and trends that we've covered this year. Really looking forward to this. Today's focuses on the fights for artist rights and higher royalties in the streaming era. And I'll let you take the first one. I mean, you could probably do this without reading it. We've covered this so much. 
<laughs> well, exactly. It was the resolution for, for Phono Records 3 and Phono Records 4, which, uh, which you know, happened, when was that? Back in earlier part of the year, I guess. Um, yeah, these are the, the, it's the rate-setting processes for publishing royalties from on-demand streaming in the U.S., overseen by the mysterious Copyright Royalties Board. And don't forget, <laughs> so Phono Records 3 covered the rates from 2018 to 2022, but an appeal by streaming services meant that the final rates weren't confirmed until this year, only a couple of months before the DSPs and publishing industry bodies sprang a surprise by agreeing to the Phono Records 4 rates, which covered 2023 through 27. Between themselves, both these processes have been hugely divisive, with a lot of anger directed at the streaming services in particular. But there is now clarity over rates and space to rebuild those bridges. Yes, sir. The songwriters are making a little bit more money. And is it enough? No, not yet. But it's a step in the right direction. And these things haven't changed in 100 years. And I'm pretty excited to see it. If you ever want to kind of follow this really closely, I highly encourage you to visit the website Music Technology Policy by our friend Chris Castle. I don't think anyone covers this any better or with any more smart acidness. Is that a word? Can I, can I say it that? Is. On? Now, right. now it is, yes. All right, so, so uh, number two, yeah. a full set of major label unrecouped artist policies. And this yeah. is so, so amazing uh, that this was done because nobody held a gun to anybody's head. Uh, it was really um, a really beautiful thing that some of these majors have done. So something positive for 2020, uh, 2022, both Warner Music Group in February and Universal Group a couple of months later, they both announced measures covering unrecouped musicians. That's those who haven't paid off historic advances and you know might not be receiving streaming royalties because of it. The balances were not wiped, but both labels joined Sony Music, which announced its policy in 2021 and committing to pay through royalties anyway for eligible musicians. It was a welcome step and a validation of the importance of artist-focused campaigns like Broken Record, and and more on that a little bit later. That was pretty cool. And you know, you, you know when you when you when you make a funny sound to a dog and it kind of tilts its head to the side, <laughs> it kind of looks at you weird. Yeah, I do. There was that 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 line in there that says the balances were not wiped. Uh, okay, so are they? But they're paying through. They're yeah. not withholding the streaming revenue. I, I, I right. right. But but why not just wipe the balances? You know, you're effectively wiping the balances because you're paying, you're ignoring them. Let's but. let's not let facts get in the way of a good story. <clears throat> just curious, Jay. All right. I am just curious. Uh, sticking with the U.S., uh, they also mentioned the push for the American Music Fairness Act, uh, which is a piece of legislation that isn't focused on streaming, but rather on radio. We talked about this a lot. Yeah. Forcing terrestrial broadcasters to start paying performance royalties for the music that they play. Uh, originally introduced in the House of Representatives in 2021, this year brought its next legislative step, being also introduced in the U.S. Senate. There have been fierce lobbying going on around the bill and another piece of legislation backed by the radio industry, the Local Radio Freedom Act, which would rule out such royalties. Of course, they name it that. Uh, the wheel of the new U.S. legislation, the wheels of the new U.S. legislation may move slowly, but in this case, that movement was still welcomed by musicians and industry bodies in 2022. And, you know, just as a reminder, if you listen to your favorite station, they are typically not paying 
uh, performance royalties. That's right. Uh, because they say it's for promotion. Well, and as, as it has been right. for a long time. And there's a guest op-ed in Billboard this last week. We're not going to cover it, but it is in your morning coffee. And mm-hmm. the, the headline is, American artist harmed in Europe due to broadcaster exploitation in the U.S. And the little blurb, if you didn't see it, is just what you, you're alluding to. Whenever I tell someone that recording artists aren't paid for their songs when they're played on AM, FM radio... They're surprised, yet it's true. Not a single performer has ever been paid a performance royalty by American broadcasters for analog radio. So, um, you know, that's a a topic we cover early and often, and uh, there seems to be a lot more movement now um, to rectify that. Um, The next one I thought was interesting was the CMA declines a full market investigation and that's over in the, uh, in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, they did this, uh, report and we talked about it and it was addressing streaming and we had, there were a lot of guests that were speaking. And at the very end of it, they decided that, um, that market study was enough on, uh, on music and streaming and they weren't going to do a full blown investigation or quote unquote serious probe. Yeah, very interesting. Um, another thing that was I, I found interesting was the uh, U.S. Physical and Downloads Mechanicals Settlement. Uh, as they say, you wait for years for a U.S. music royalty settlement to come along, then a whole bunch of them turn up at once. May saw publishers and labels reach agreement pending approval by the Copyright Royalty Board on new mechanical rates for physical phono records, permanent downloads, ringtones, and music bundles. The headline was a 32% increase in payments for songwriters and publishers, but the fact that it was agreed was also a very positive sign and a harbinger for the settlements reached later in the year around streaming. So all kind of good things. Again, not necessarily where we'd like to see it, but the fact that there are raises being had is good. It is is good. Uh, And then on the negative side, you know, there have been a lot of venues that are taking a big cut of the merch that's been sold, yes. and there's been an uproar lately, and I'm glad that people are talking about it. Um, artist campaigns over merch cuts taken by venues is the headline. Early this year, an online discussion broke out over the cuts that some venues were taking of artists' merchandise sales, and I've seen this firsthand. A campaign ensued um, from Featured Artist Coalition, um, called 100% Venues, encouraging venues to commit to letting artists keep 100% of their merch sales. Hundreds of venues have already signed up, and it has since sparked this sister campaign in the U.S., led by FAC and UMAW. So again, there's this fight to make sure that when you're, you know, especially for new and developing and middle-class artists, you know, uh, you make so little revenue anyway, that I just think it's um, it's so bad that these these venues, and I know they have to make money as well, but they shouldn't be taking a, a piece of the merch because sometimes that's what determines whether that band's going to sleep in the yeah. van or sleep in a hotel. Or get a shower that night, exactly. Exactly. And what what kind of numbers have you seen? I know you've been out with a couple of bands. What is What do they have to pay the venue or the promoter in terms of, of percentage? I don't have a, an exact number in front of me, but I know that it varies. Um, I do know some larger venues that will take up to half of the merch sales, wow. uh, depending on the deal that they have. I don't know about, you know, I'd have to make some calls and and dig into it, but I do know that it's something that they complain about and it's very, very frustrating. And there's also, 
you know, who's, who's working the merch table. So mm-hmm. if, if somebody from the venue is doing that for you, well, there's a value to that, to that service. But if you're sure. doing it and they're not really yeah. helping you and you're loading in and loading out and doing all of that, man, I believe you should have that revenue for, for the artist. Yeah. The Music Ally article, by the way, ends on a <clears throat> what they say is an important warning about tough times ahead. They say we're really sorry to end on an almighty down note, <laughs> but but charity the, but the charity help musicians re- recent research was a vital reminder of why the debates around royalties and the sustainability of music careers matter. It surveyed more than 500 professional musicians and found that nearly half have serious concerns that they'll be forced to leave the industry, while 90% are worried about affording food and 84% about mortgages or rent in the months ahead. In a year of ongoing concerns about the past, about the post-lockdown realities of touring as a middle-tier artist, this kind of research is a bleak but vital reminder of who may need support over the winter to come and what we risk losing if they don't get it. Yeah. So um, that's tough. That it's, is uh, very tough. By the way, this piece was written by Stuart Dredge uh, mm-hmm. for Music Ally, um, a UK-based uh, outlet that we, uh, we really enjoy. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, for the last article, Jay, it is uh, from Media Music Subscription Market Shares. That is always interesting to see yeah. that sort of information, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And this was written by Mark Mulligan, uh, one of my go-to sources and always has been. Um, I got to meet him one time at Music Tectonics, a super cool cat. Um, so Midia has just released their annual Music Subscriber Market Shares report and the, a data set that goes along with it. You know, Midia creates these reports and then and sells them. Um, and they're, they're super, um, well, they're comprehensive is what they are. Um, this particular one has data for 23 DSPs across 33 different markets. So we're just going to go over some of the key global trends um, that, they, uh, that they call out. Um, the first one's uh, about subscribers, and I'll let you take that one. Sure, there were. This is, uh, by the way, just to, just so you know, this is a uh, twenty twenty one in the first half of twenty twenty two. So there, <clears throat> excuse me, there were six hundred and sixteen point two million subscribers by the midpoint of twenty twenty two, which is up by seven point one percent from the end of twenty twenty one. Total net subscriber additions for the first six months of twenty twenty two, which were forty two point one million. We're down on the we're down on the fifty three point eight million that were added one year earlier, hinting at the slowing global economy. However, more subscribers were added in twenty twenty one than in twenty twenty. Yeah, and the next point is about revenue. You know, you talk about subscribers, so this is revenue. The twelve point nine billion dollars of subscription label trade revenue generated in twenty twenty one was up by twenty three point one percent on 2022, or I'm sorry, on 2020. So up 23.1%. And it was the first year since 2017 that revenue growth exceeded subscriber growth, resulting in a 1% increase in the global annual ARPU, love that, annual uh, revenue Mm -hmm. per user, uh, reaching $22.42. So let's talk about the players. How about Spotify with 187.8 million subscribers in Q2 of 2022. Spotify remained by far the largest DSP. However, its market share has steadily eroded since Q4 of 2020, and its Q2 
2022 share of 30.5% was down from a high of 33.2% in Q2 of 2018. Interesting. I know there's a lot of numbers being thrown at you, but this is they do such great reporting uh, at, at Media. The next one is about Tencent. Um, Tencent Music Entertainment and NetEase Cloud Music. Um, Spotify's declining market share has much to do with the growth of this Chinese market, you know, where Spotify doesn't operate currently. In Q4 of 2021, TME, um, that's the Tencent Music Entertainment, overtook Amazon Music to become the third largest DSP globally. And in Q2 of 2022, it had 82.7 million subscribers, 13.4% market share. That's Tencent. Uh, China has long been the world's second largest subscriber market, and it's on track to soon surpass the U.S. as the world's largest market. Wow. Unreal. Unreal. I'd be interested to see what the what the division of uh, local versus out, outside of country like repertoire in China is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> How about Apple, Amazon, and YouTube? Amazon Music was the fourth largest DSP with 82.2 million subscribers. And YouTube Music was fifth with 55.1 million. Both gained share between Q2 of 2021 and Q2 of 2022, growing faster than the total market. While YouTube and Amazon both gained share in 2022, albeit at a declining rate, second place Apple Music continued its long-term trend of underperforming the market hmm. with its 84, 84.7 million subscribers recording a 13.8 market share down a little over 1% from Q2 of okay, 2021. So sort of flat, really. It's it's not mm-hmm. like a huge drop or anything. Um, but these, you know, we have these large players now uh, jockeying for market share. And, and the last thing I'll say on this piece, which is based on a report that you can purchase from Media, uh, and I highly recommend their reports. They're, they're world-class. The global music subscriber market is approaching a pivot point, uh, Mark Mulligan says. With the slowdown in mature Western markets contrasting the more dynamic growth in other regions, it's realistic to assume that the global recession and the organic maturation, love that word, of the global subscriber market will result in some slowdown of growth in 2023, even if the sector remains otherwise resilient. So it's growing, streaming's still growing, just maybe not at the rate that it was before. And then... um, as Will Page always says, and I love this, he talks about herbivores and carnivores, right? <laughs> and, you know, when streaming was in its early days, everybody was a herbivore and everybody was growing. But now, if you have to start taking market share away from somebody else, maybe you're a carnivore. Yeah, exactly. Well, on that uh, on that note, Jay, what do you say we wrap up this edition of the YMC podcast? We certainly appreciate you listening. We do want to thank our friends at the Music Business Association, Banzugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. And uh, Jay and I are going to be back next week. We really appreciate you listening in. And if you enjoy our show, if you tell just one friend, as I said before, Jay will come over and wash your car. So, uh, and <laughs> I for really two will. friends, two cars, absolutely. So uh, it's worth it. He does a great job. Sometimes you got to say, Jay, you missed a spot there on the window. But uh, other times he's, he's, he's on it. I know, I know, I know. So on that note, folks, we will be back next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Thanks for listening in, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new 
music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.